0: Chapter 21 The Embrace of Music The name of a musical piece instantly flipped up on the screen. It was from Demos. Despite or because of the failings of the Demos Imperium, its music was rich in eloquence and emotion. I asked for the music to begin in five minutes then undid my seat harness. I checked the safety wire was still attached to the belt buckle, stood up, switched off the screen, and killed the lights. The only illumination remaining in the great metal chamber of the bullet pod came from two little green lights on the console. I pressed a button beside one of them. It turned red, and I lurched fell, floated, into weightlessness. I swallowed down nausea, tried to control my breathing, sickeningly conscious of my limbs drifting up and down like pondweed attached to a stone. I looked at the two small lights on the console, but they shrank and span away from me as music slipped soft and sly, into the vast blackness. The music began with a soft bass, deep, repetitive, a slow, ever-rising, ever-falling, subtle wave of sound, moving in a vast, black, cosmic-wide ocean, an eye floating and sinking and rising on it and through it my body turning slowly in no G, my eyes closed yet my heart open, absorbing every beaten cadence. An oboe sighed three times, a strange inviting trill that sent a tremor of expectation and longing through me. Startled, I opened my eyes to see the two little lights, the one green, the other red, seeming to move lazily in the blackness. As the oboe fell silent, I closed my eyes again. I slipped back into the hypnotic rhythm of the bass, and those two points of illumination came with me, mutating and expanding, birthing a thousand other colours and shades and shadows of colours, colours that coalesced into the form of Enfeshka, the poet And the planet both. That spun and bowed before me. As a violin sashayed sorrowful and sensual. Then the sharp sea shell snap 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 of castanets. And I was thrown forward. Mannequin limbed and string tugged without any volition of my own. Each snap, jerk, and feshka getting me ever closer. Colours spilling and flashing from the poet and the planet both like the trail of a halloquin coat or the glitter of a bridal gown. As I spasmed, danced, jerked, ever nearer to those wondrous colours, memories flashed past, liquid silver fast, but even as I reached to snatch them, they were gone. and I, careless and unconcerned, went spinning into the embrace of Infeshka. Deep into the colours I sank, the soft bass and the sighing oboe cushioning me, till I could see below me the great cloud-crowned mountains that marked the northern border of my domain. As I drifted down to the lower slopes of one great granite sky-scraping heap, A curtain of rain opened to reveal a little cluster of houses and a road ribboning its way past shrines and blessing poles with their sacred pendants, down to the valley's patchwork of marsh and meadow and trickling streams. On the grass, narrow-faced sheep graze slow and unconcerned. In the marshes, the great, ponderous Ekiiske with their beautiful faces and ugly, massive, undulating, warm bodies, sucked what sustenance they could from muddy pools. On I flew, further southwards and westwards, over fields of wheat and fields of barley, over rivers wide and fish filled and bordered with a density of oak and birch. Then towns passed below me, Civic buildings and brass topped temples clustered in the middle, the houses of the townsfolk spilling outwards like blocks spilled from a child's playbox. Beyond them the grey and glitter of the tin roofed shanty town shacks. Then I was over the salt and seaweed scented shoreline of Great Bay, and on to Stone City, that great jumble of culture and corruption and a million and a half men, women and children crammed there. All busy as bees yet content enough with the coast and the sea and the sea breeze at the front of the city to cleanse them and the great park inland where they could walk, talk, sit a while, listen to bands, drink and eat. A clarinet caught me, pulled me beyond the public park then a base tone like a ballast weight pulled me downwards to my own private lands, the hundred square miles of sculpted braes, glens and stretching flat lands surrounding my palace complex. With its countless minarets and colonnades and great domes and Gothic spires, each structure evidence of a succession of courtesans going back some 800 years, each of whom sought to make their mark on that great, ugly, wondrous home. As I floated over one of the roof gardens, the music paused, and I began softly to drift downwards. A feather on a breath of air, a musical note dipping into love and melancholy. Below, I saw movement, and as I floated ever closer to the garden, a ripple of unease disturbed my sense of calmness and peace. There, on the lawn, were two figures. One was a man, bent over with his fist gripped tight round the hair of a crouching woman. One of the woman's hands beat pathetically against the fist, whilst her other hand twisted over her own face. Suddenly the man straightened himself, violently pulled the woman up to a standing position. The man was my father, Tycheyard the Magnificent. I felt myself cower in fear. He was younger than I remembered him, but his facial expression was so familiar from my childhood. Skin scarlet with anger, mouth stretched wide in rage, his eyes narrowed in hatred. He released the woman's hair and pushed her back to the ground, turned from her and walked away. She wiped the tears from her eyes and then stood. It was Christiana, the young Christiana whose portrait Gallias kept above his personal shrine. Her eyes were bloodshot, her lower lips swollen and bloody, her hair dishevelled. But as she stood, she seemed to change. Blood dripped from her mouth, staining the blue gown she wore. But she did nothing to wipe the blood away. Instead, her mouth opened. I could not hear what she said, but my father stopped walking and turned to look at her. Christiana looked at him without blinking, her broken mouth now shut again. She put her hands on her hips and gripped her gown. Then she began to slowly raise her arms. Her gown began to rise up, gradually exposing more and more of her skin. The blue fabric, like a great sea, receding from a golden, glittering beach. Little red drops dripped onto her naked skin, making the heat in me rise and pulse ever stronger. First her feet were exposed, then her ankles, her shins and then her knees, then the lower part of her thighs. Higher went the blue gown, and I now unable to breathe, frightened the slightest gasp from me would shatter the vision Before me. Christiana opened her hands. Released the gown. The blue sea of its fabric spilled over her limbs again. My father walked to her grinning. They kissed a vile kiss. Like two animals biting each other's lips. Each opening new wounds. More blood spilling. Hands groping between legs. Then castanets sounded. The image before me smashed and was gone. I was safe in the embrace of the music once more. Thanks for listening to the latest chapter of Marcus Marcus and Hurting Heart. Be sure to tell all your friends, family and ancient enemies about the story. If you like it, rate it, review it, pass on the word and subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Player or your favourite podcast app. Drop me a line on Twitter at Havering Rab, and if you want to know more about what I do, check out my website, RabFultonStories. Wbly. Com.